But I feel like we're in a different era and the expectations for us to be honest and vulnerable and go well beyond the walls, quote unquote, of the office. It's our privilege to be able to have that. But it takes it takes more than I think what many of us had expected five, 10 years ago. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. I believe that we in the tech sector have both an opportunity and an obligation to lead at this time. And having sat on both sides of the table, I know intuitively that organizations still struggle to work with the tech giant. So when I met my next guest at a virtual event earlier this year, I knew I needed to have her as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Mary Williamson, Microsoft's Corporate Vice President for Azure Infrastructure, Digital and App Innovation, and Azure IoT. That's a heady title. What I can tell you is Mary's organization is responsible for creating the way Microsoft takes its solutions from engineering to the customer. I describe her as the glue that connects the complexity of technology developed by engineering functions and makes these into concrete offers that Microsoft sales teams and partners can sell. And Mary is also a person of color. And as a black woman at Microsoft, I really enjoyed a very vulnerable and candid discussion about her career and her time now at Microsoft. I hope you enjoy part one of this far-reaching interview as much as I enjoyed spending time with Mary Williamson. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Vince. I am so excited to welcome you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. You're the Corporate Vice President for Microsoft for Azure Infrastructure, Digital and App Innovation, and Azure IoT. And we had the chance to participate in a panel together focused on women taking their executive seat at the table. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was great in this new virtual time that we can do these panels and podcasts and meet new people. So I'm glad to be here. So a key goal of this podcast is to help partners better understand how the tech giant organizes for success in that wildly complex organization called Microsoft. thought maybe spending some time on what you do, your role, how you drive solutions into customers through partners, it's so critical. Can you begin by sharing with our listeners a bit about you and your role at Microsoft? I've been with Microsoft about two years now in the sales organization that really is the design and global element of the sales organization. So I work with all of our areas. We have 14 areas of the world and many sub-regions under those. My remit means I have lots of pieces of the Azure puzzle and beyond. So on one half of my brain, I spend with Scott Guthrie, his organization, the marketing organization under Takeshi, and really look at what are we trying to achieve in our business goals and then thus fulfill through sales and partners and customer. 
And the other half of my brain I use really focused on serving our sales community in strategic, operational, and in really high-touch ways, making sure that they're successful. And I also have the pleasure of hosting our global black belts in these specialized areas where we're going deeper into the technology elements or earlier technology elements that we're uh, fostering and growing as the mainstream builds readiness and capability. And so I, I get to that part of my brain talk to a lot of sellers and a lot of partners and a lot of customers. In the first two years I've been here, I think I've had at least 250 customer and partner meetings. You know, we accelerated the, probably the number with COVID and, and our virtual reality of customer meetings here. But it's a fun job in that I get to talk to customers from all over the world in different industries. But I love the human element. Everyone's debating and challenged with their own transformation. And, and that's a, a fun part of working with people. And you get to work in some really, I think about the work that's done with Azure right now, the growth, the hyper growth that we've been seeing this technology sector, seven years of transformation in the last year or so. I've described it as you're sort of the glue, right? You're taking engineering, you're taking marketing, and you're landing it into the sales organizations, as you described, like 14 areas. How many subsidiaries? It's just an incredible number of countries that Microsoft lands in. You get to have a lot of really innovative conversations and do a lot of creative things there. You have two different solution areas where partners play a critical role and another business, which was Rodney's old business, the Azure IoT business. And Rodney was a guest here describing that business at one point on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. How do you engage with these clients and partners today? Well, partners are really how we fulfill the business value and this, the whole idea of digital transformation. So we spend a lot of time really integrating them uh, into the way we think about strategy all the way back to the beginning through planning elements and programmatic elements through fulfillment. And I think in the last two years, we've internally looked at better ways of connecting the operations behind that to make sure that the partners felt like they were part of our mainstream energy emotions there. And I think we, we can absolutely do better, but it's been a huge push because it's the reality of the market. Our partners bring the acumen of where they live and the markets they serve and the industries they serve. They have deep history and trust for their customers. And more and more recently, and I think more in the future, they're stitching together scenarios that are becoming more complex and more innovative. And so we really rely on them for that partnership. For me, I get to reach out and work with large global SIs who are amazing depths and the number of people they have at their disposal and scope is quite extraordinary. But I really love working with the specialized and localized partners because they just give these nuanced feedback and insights that I, I find even more relevant because, again, we're a global organization and I would want to make sure we're solving for everyone, not just the baseline. Satya wants us to be the best partner company in the world. And so we're constantly listening and improving. I think we're doing a great job, but we can always set the bar higher. And we've worked with now thousands of companies who have moved their workloads from on-prem to cloud. And, and I'm looking forward to doing more and more in that remit you described. I'm learning more about the, the digital and app innovation discussions with customers are more cutting edge. They're opening up on conversations, obviously, with the data, the data vision for many of these customers and industries. I'm learning more about how the early inception of IoT is really starting to become more modular and also top of mind for a lot of our customers who have business goals that they need now need to meet in this realm of IoT like sustainability. So how do we bring all that 
that, that repeatable learnings and knowledge base with in partnership with our partner community to our customers and help them get to their end goals faster. So that's a probably long answer to how I think of partners these days. I love what you had to say. I was thinking about what you're saying, first of all, about Satya's commitment to be the best partnering organization. I think Microsoft is, in fact, I'm a little bit biased because of my experiences, both on, on both sides of the table. But the commitment of the company, you know, it's palatable. It really is. And compared to the other, I'll call them tech giants, cloud providers, I think it's measurably different. I also like what you had to say about some of the more specialized partners, right? That these big, large organizations, you're maybe not having the conversations at the more granular level about what they really need because you're dealing at the executive level. But some of these more nimble, smaller partners, they're like boots on the ground in many respects, right? They're, a lot of them are still owned or run by a founder. They're entrepreneurial in the way they operate. They really, they get into the code structure. They understand intuitively what needs to be done differently or how to better connect with Microsoft. Do you find that? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're, they're also going to be some of our most innovative learning partners because of maybe that culture element that you alluded to, that they aren't afraid to be maybe more entrepreneurial and go off in what we call Horizon 2-3 and discover and then bring back to us some, some learnings. You know, I was thinking about your time span at Microsoft. And you and I had a conversation about this too, right? When you first started, you were on stage at some really big <laughs> industry events, right? Then all of a sudden the world shut down. And you've had to like manage this organization, this very big remit, you know, in, in a virtual fashion. What were some of the things you didn't expect to see that you saw this last 18 months or so? Well, let me start with the business because that's probably the smaller part of my answer, which is I'm, you know, gratified and to see the business grow and accelerate in a lot of ways. Satya's talked about this. We've talked about this at length. But inside of my portfolio, we had the VDI solution, which was WVD and now it's Azure Virtual Desktop. And that was a high priority need to deliver to our customers as we were bringing a new solution to the market. And so we spent a lot of time heads down in the earliest days in winter, spring last year of making sure that we met our customers where they needed us so they could continue as well as possible business operations. So that was real business and uh, in real intersect into what was happening in the world. We also had the similar motions around network expansion, security, as companies were not able to do the things they could do on premise, that those were two areas that were hot to understand how things were flowing and, and if things were secure across on-prem cloud. And so we were really important to a lot of those uh, customers to understand their, their scenarios and how to improve in, in a growing uh, demand world. And I think that it's been transformational and that businesses are, I think, adopting the mentality that they have to move faster to the cloud. And so that's a lot of tailwinds for us as we continue conversations and are still existing in this kind of COVID reality. Operating now as a global organization of you know, three or 400 people has been really challenging. And, and I think that we all have these pause moments of going, there is no management playbook for this. I think for me and my team, we really centered ourselves in the Microsoft culture. We knew we had that support system around us to take care of our people sincerely and authentically and have conversations that were required to pause and stop role model when we needed to check out, role model when we had mental health pauses because you just hit that video fatigue. We've had discussions on grief 
we've had discussions on physical health and mental health as a team. You know, none of this since I would have expected leading through in my first year at Microsoft. And then surprising to me, and I think everyone probably around the world, on top of all of this June of 2020, we had this major moment in civil rights, which was this George Floyd moment and his murder. And that sparked another conversation on top of a challenging COVID conversation around race and the reality of the lived experience of Black and African Americans in this country. And for your podcast listeners who might not know, I am a Black woman. I identify as a Black woman in the U.S. And so being a leader at that time, I felt compelled and and my team uh, really was looking for some guidance on how do we process this. And so that was a journey for our organization. And we Again, with Microsoft's kind of live culture, we boldly started opening those conversations and talking about what this means to us as human beings, and then eventually how we wanted to adopt um, new ways of working and, and new ways of talking about not just the lived experience of Black Americans, but other communities that were living different lived experiences that we hadn't really opened up to. So it's been quite a journey, and I feel like we're learning as we go, but I do care a lot about my people's experiences today, and and I don't think we're in a great space. So I I do think we're constantly looking for ways to, to support each other and continue to ask if we're doing enough. Wow. A lot to unpack there. And I thank you, by the way, for sharing all of that. That's, you know, I think about that time in June, I said the world was on fire myself. And that's when I brought the podcast back and we had Lonnie on, we had Rodney on the podcast and talked about similar conversations that they were having with their organization. We weren't talking about this right years ago. We weren't having these conversations. They're so important conversations. How did, was, I want to think back to that time. It was over a year now, but how did, did you use a town hall format? Like, how did you convey or communicate with each other? You had a fairly large organization. So how did you make that happen? I think Microsoft was front foot. And I guess in my, my history pre-Microsoft, it was always very gated by legal or official processes and people who told you what you could say and when you could say it, which is probably how most organizations work. I think there's, that's a bad thing. But in the week that George Floyd died, on that Thursday, Sacha had a pre-planned town hall and he, I think he ripped apart his agenda and just started with how he felt about it and how it was a tragedy and called it a murder. This was like day two. It was, and just, I think that allowed for more emotive and open dialogues through the month of June. To be honest, some of my brown and black leader colleagues were hosting town halls early, you know, in the days following. And I thought that was really courageous. And I knew there's space to do that. But I and others said, I'm not ready. I'm still processing this myself. I'm looking at my then 13 year old large child going, oh, my gosh, I'm terrified of the world that you live in. I'm not ready to talk about this and my lived experience quite yet. And waited a little while and, and got some panel, not panelists in an organized way, but people who were willing to share their lived experience together. So we weren't all individually on the spot and in my organization. And we shared. And so that was the latter part of June. And folks felt really touched and also, I think, embarrassed that they had not really even thought to ask. But also, honestly, I had never thought to share because I just didn't think this would be possible. And then our organization started looking for ways to connect 
and reach each other, baseline our understanding of this, how did we get here? And so we used a kind of simple systematic approach every other week, starting late June into early fall, we had learning modules and said, you know, what's this baseline on how we think about the history of Black Americans, the history of how we got here, recent history of civil rights, especially with the global team, that was new information. And, and what was fascinating is it wasn't just the global team, but a lot of folks in the U.S. hadn't had some common understandings of where we have been. And then if you don't know where we've been, it's hard to understand how we got here or solve for the future. And so that's what we did up until I think it was October, November of last year. And we actually put it out on LinkedIn because a lot of people said, hey, this is not, you know, this has nothing to do with the work we do at Microsoft uh, specifically. Other people should be able to have these conversations too as a starter for where do you want to go from here? How do you personally want to take your energy and your time? Because if if it's really commitment, it's a lifelong commitment, not a you're going to go vote for tomorrow or who you're going to donate to. You know, I'm struck by what you had to say here on so many levels. I've been saying all along, in fact, since June of last year, that we in the tech sector have both an opportunity and an obligation to lead at this time. And it came out of Microsoft so loud and clear. Satya, like you said, Satya set the tone in the organization. And he has set the tone in so many ways. We think about growth mindset, empathy, some of the other things that he's brought to Microsoft that other people will go, well, that doesn't fit necessarily into a corporate equation. Like, how do you quantify it? But it's, he's changed the culture, right? And these conversations are just, and it's really great to see like demonstrable leadership coming out of Microsoft that we all should be, we should all be thinking and operating this way. Yeah, I agree. I also think you have to, I have had to unlearn or relearn things to get to, to feel comfortable as a leader in this space. It's not how I looked uh, for 20 years and said, okay, that's the way I'm going to behave. And when I get to that point, I'm going to repeat the things that I saw other people succeeding with as leaders. And I don't see that relevant today. I think leaders who came before me were exceptionally talented and, and admirable, but I feel like we're in a different era and the expectations for us to be honest and vulnerable and go well beyond the walls, quote unquote, of the office. It's our privilege to be able to have that, but it takes, it takes more than I think what many of us had expected five, 10 years ago. I got from what you just said, like you learn to be more vulnerable. Can you train vulnerability or is it, does the climate or the culture have to support it through trust? I think both. I think one thing I learned from my colleague, chief of staff this last year, I'm an engineer by training. And all of this, if you, if I would have recorded this and repeated it maybe to myself five years ago, I wouldn't have believed it because it's squishy and squishy things seem like non-engineering things yep. and hard to measure. But he's really spearheaded all of the operationalization of this in, in our organization that you just, you take an engineering organization from waterfall to agile and there's steps you do that. And you know, when you start and you know, when you end and you know, the quality, same thing with culture. And so if you want people to be vulnerable and empathetic, you have to go through a process of that. You can't just tell them to go do it and do it. Same. You wouldn't want an engineering leader of 300 people to say, go do agile and not get them resources and support to do it and, and time and space. And so we've looked at that in steps, and I think we're making great progress to that. And we are 
talking about franchising that idea because we do think we're modularizing this in a way others might want to take it into their organizations and repeat certain aspects of it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's absolutely doable. And I, I think there's a lot of organizations out there that have started shifting their cultures and talking about the vulnerability and courageousness of leading through markets that are just highly volatile and, and very adaptive leadership required. There's, like I said, there's no book and there's not a lot of precedent. So uh, a lot of us are figuring it out and you got to have a lot of grace for yourself because you're going to screw up and, and not just screw up, but be embarrassed and screw up, which is double fun. Yeah. So. Well, I, I'm going to stay here for a moment, if you don't mind, on culture. You know, I've had Dr. Michael Gervais on the podcast and he did a lot of work at Microsoft. In fact, I was at Microsoft during both the bomber years and the first few years with Satya. And I got to see the shift in the room. And Michael was involved. In fact, he's quoted on, I think it's page five of Hit Refresh, Sati's book, about coming in and helping with the leadership team and helping drive the change and getting to this growth mindset and empathy and having allowing it to enter the organization. What do you see there as we think about, because it's funny, because when I mention growth mindset as being critical to success in partnerships, and some people go, that sounds really woo-woo to me. And then empathy. And then people go, well, how do you put a, how do you put a dollar? Like, how do you put a growth number? And you look at Microsoft in the seven years that Satya has been in role as CEO, the company has gone from, I think it's 6X or 7X growth. So from your lens, how does it drive into the business? Gosh, I probably should write this down. It's in my head, <laughs> but I know it's true. <laughs> and I think there's wonderful articles written about it. But I think the simple answer is empathy unlocks potential. Empathy unlocks it. potential. Yeah. I love that. It's so simple. <laughs> and whether it's a partner or a seller or an engineer or a leader, right? I mean, we all have, we're all brilliant in our own way, but we all limit ourselves as adult people. You know, after kindergarten, we become a thousand percent less creative and interesting. Yes. So how do you get that back? And it's empathy to try things and voice your opinion and do the right thing or check out because you're not as ready to perform as others. You know, the Simone Biles moment, I think is epic. I remember waking up that morning going, would I have the courage if I was on a team to present to the board of Microsoft and I woke up and I wasn't there and I had a mental health block or if I had a physical illness or any reason, would I be courageous enough to hand off the baton? And how many people have not and hurt their company and hurt their shareholders and hurt their families if they were making a choice to, to maybe be somewhere they should have been with their family? And so I think we're learning something new. I mean, I could, I could spend the rest of your podcast talking about Ted Lasso. Like this, There's a reason people are identifying more with, I think, leaders who are willing to be human. Yes. And not just because they're nice human beings and you don't want to hang out with them. And, and that's nice too, but because then it gives you space to be yourself. And if yourself, you're meeting your potential. And if you're meeting your potential, you're giving everything you can to your to the moments that you are present. And when you start doing that and start showing that, I mean, imagine working with a partner who's present and giving all they can sincerely versus a partner that's not. What are your, your business outcomes are always going to be better with the first, right? I am so much in violent agreement with you here. And it doesn't have to be like, and it could be Vince walks in the room and he's the good guy that does behave that way. But Mary walks in the room next and she doesn't. Well, it just makes Vince the company versus Microsoft the company. When you have consistently that behavior, you're going to get business results. And we see it. 
And it's a leap, I think, for a lot of people. And for me, as an engineer, I, it's been a leap, but I'm living it every day. And I feel like my team is is in a spot where I feel like they are living it and they do incredible work and they are their ingenuity and innovation is off the charts. So I see these people around me and, and they show me every day that there's this is a great way to do business. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzione on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.